Fortunately, no one's getting married today. Uh, that does uh, the Cummins heart really good for Lindsay here and for, for my heart with Briley here. Um, why, don't you guys, why don't you guys give these two girls a hand for being our flower girls? <laughs> Obviously, when you walked in this morning, the room was set up a little bit differently. Uh, you noticed a white runner. Uh, we have a couple of beautiful flower girls here. Um, we even had a, uh, a wedding singer in Rob, and uh, I don't know where he went off to, but, um, you know, we had, we had really part of the setup here. We have a pastor here. We have a Bible. Um, what are we missing? Bride and the groom. Yeah. Any wedding would be highly incomplete without uh, both a bride and a groom. And uh, this morning, it just as kind of a worship focus to get our minds trained and tracking on, on where we're going we're going to look to the scriptures and, and see that, that God speaks of us as the church, as the bride of Christ. And I want to read for you a passage um, found in, in Ephesians, and it's read at, at weddings sometimes. And uh, instead of it being in a, in a true wedding context, we're in a worship service right now, a church service. And how applicable that we would, we would in essence, marry these two ideas, that we would bring these two concepts together, because that's a biblical model. And we just sang this song called Love Song. And I don't know how you feel about that, but sometimes people feel like, well, I don't want to confuse that kind of love with my relationship with God. Because somehow it feels sacrilegious or it feels like it's wrong. And yet God invites us into that kind of a picture. Girls, you can go ahead and sit down. Thank you so much for helping me out with that. Just listen. You don't have to turn there, but if you want to write this down and read it later on your own, you can. But Ephesians chapter 5 Starting in verse 25, it says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or without any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. We're going we're to press on here with some worship music. But I want that phrase to linger. Did you hear some of the language of that? A radiant church. And then he just says this. This is a profound mystery. And he's clarifying. Not, not the man and the woman becoming one flesh, but the fact that we're using this language for Christ and His bride, the church. Would you pray with me right now? We're going to continue in, um, in worship with, with the giving of offering and continuing with music. Father, this morning, I pray that we would come afresh um, and be awed afresh at some of the language that you've revealed yourself um, with. And God, I pray that our hearts and minds would be open to what you would say to us. We need to hear from you, God. We're desperate to hear from you this morning. We've come, God, to give you praise to offer up and ascribe worth to you like no one else or no other thing that we do in our entire week, God. We come collectively this morning to lift you up 
And I pray, God, that as we open your word, as we continue to use music, as we take visual cues from around us, Lord, perhaps as we watch the emotion and feelings that come up watching two flower girls come down an aisle, God, I pray that you would take all of that and use it to reveal yourself to us this morning in a deeper way. God, that we could get a clearer picture of how you think of your bride, the church, this morning. And God, as we, as we worship in, in giving of our tithes and offerings, Lord, I pray it will be done uh, not out of compulsion, not out of guilt, not out of cultural normalness, God, that that's what you do at church, but rather as, a, as an offering of worship this morning. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Yeah, what an incredible wedding gift and uh, to create the heavens just for you, to uh, put the stars in their place just for you. This song is called Your Beloved, and it really talks about uh, how amazing our God is. All right, children, you are dismissed. Thanks for worshiping with us. Love having you. Now get out of here. Just kidding. <laughs> All right, if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to open up to the book of Isaiah. For you, uh, maybe you don't read in the Old Testament quite as much, you may need to blow a little dust off. Go to the middle of the Bible, let it fall open, and then turn to the right a little bit. That's where Isaiah is at. Church in HD. We're wrapping up the series this morning, and um, my kids were clarifying with me. We we're driving home. Uh, last night, we went up to Eldorado Hills and spent some time up there with some family, and my kids were clarifying what HD was and, and what definition was. And those always lead to longer conversations than you ever imagined that they could be, but it was fun. We had a long car ride, so we talked about it. But just to clarify, those of you who maybe have joined midstream, what we're talking about, we're, we're just thinking about this idea that um, just take your television, and depending on what kind of a signal you receive, is how clear the picture is going to be, right? And some of you may have uh, some wind issues with your little dish up top. It turned into a kite or something, and uh, maybe your signal blew away. Uh, when it comes to the church, there's a lot of people who view the church and form opinions about church and what ought to be done. And as we, as we really prayed to set out and start something brand new here at Neighborhood Bible, we said, you know what we really want to do? Is, is what every faithful biblical church would want to do, and that is to look to the Scriptures and say, if it's cultural, then we can take it or leave it. But if it's biblical, we're going to include that in our church. And it's surprising as you start to head down that road how much, uh, even if you've been raised in a good Bible-teaching church, of your own perception of church is cultural. It's just how your church did it. And something that helps with that is to worship away from your home setting uh, once in a while, to go to a church that, that just is unlike how you normally worship. And uh, even better, go to a different country and worship with believers who are worshiping in a, in, a, in a setting completely different than your own and just think through and go, you know, this is biblical. This is just a different expression in a different location through a different set of cultural norms and this makes sense. And that's good to think through that and, and, to, and to process that. As we've looked at the church and what we ought to be as a church and, and all of that, we're going to wrap it up um, this morning with this fourth metaphor from the Bible, and that is that of bride. 
and just look to the Scriptures and see what it has to say about it. And as I thought about it, really as we look at the church in HD, a part of what we have asked the question each week has been to say, um, how is it that our identity changes or is informed as we look at each of these metaphors? So, uh, again, just kind of walking back, we looked at family and what it means to be a child of God. And we had these two images that were family. And then we looked at the idea of body. What does it mean to be a body of believers? We say that. That's kind of a, a Christian thing to say. But what does that really look like and function like? Last week it was the flock. We're the flock of God. We're a bunch of sheep here following the chief shepherd. How does that inform our structure of our church? How does that inform um, our role in the church and our desire and need to be led and cared for? And we looked at Psalm 23 and what a beautiful picture it is that Jesus cares for and leads his flock of people. And then lastly, we're going to look at the bride this morning. As we look at these, we really get to know God too. We're looking at and being informed of who God is and even in some ways how God reveals himself to us. I want you to look at this passage on the screen right now and just, uh, and just listen as I read it. It's from Jeremiah and it says, Am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God far off? Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? The reason I bring this verse up is this. Even with each of these metaphors, there's a certain sense that as you begin to look at at the God of the Bible, that you, you, you realize God is, is altogether otherworldly than you and I. He's, he's altogether more magnificent and, and more filling of space and time and, and more unlimited and more eternal than, than all of us. Would you agree with that as you look at the Bible? There's a majesty, right, to God. And it's obvious and it comes through uh, so clear in the Scriptures. And we sing songs like, How great is our God! And God of wonders, you, you, you placed all these stars out there. You're, you're just, you're so far out there. And God truly is indeed a, a far out God, right? He's out there. He's big. He's bigger than us. But He also reveals Himself to us, church, as an intimate God. There's a song that we sing sometimes in the band. It's called Obsession. And it says, sometimes you're further than the moon and sometimes you're closer than my own skin. And the relationship that we have with God is going to be more intimate and more close and tighter knit than any relationship we could possibly have here on earth. And so with that in mind, you begin to see why the biblical metaphor of a groom and a bride begins to go, yeah, that's about as close as I think we can get here on earth to discovering just how intimate God's relationship is with us. We just sang that. Your love is extravagant. And you could pull back and think of it on a grand scale. Wow, he has the capacity to love everyone. I certainly don't have that capacity. That's different than me. But your love is extravagant. Also brought in this word of, of intimate. Your friendship is intimate. And there's these two words that, that I wanted to show you. One is the word transcendence. How man relates to God in his, in his godness. Now, my spell check put a little squiggly line into that. I don't know if that's a real word. But, but what it means is just is that God in his godness, right? This, this idea of transcendent is we have a, a transcendent God. He's over and above all that, that we are and know. But the second word is, is his imminence. God is both a transcendent God, big and otherworldly and, and larger than life to us. But he's also an imminent God, meaning that he's right here with us. 
And again, demonstrated very, very clearly was Christ on the cross. Christ coming and being a baby and being with us. Now, with each of these... uh, which each, with each of these metaphors, we've just had kind of four sections that we've looked at. And I want to direct your attention, if you're taking notes, to the identity section. And again, who are we in relation to the idea that, that God is, uh, is revealing himself to us and saying we are the bride of Christ? Now, I don't know what, uh, when you walked in and saw, I, it was fun to hear this, because this is the effect we were going for. Who's getting married today? Hey, who's getting married today? Well, why do you say that? Well, A, the, the, the chairs seem to be set up just in a wedding format. There's a white runner, right, walking, walking down the middle aisle. That's a little different. That's odd. Partway through, we had some flower girls come up. Now, I want you just to think about the last wedding that you went to. Um, I happen to have just been to one in late December, right after Christmas. A very close friend of mine got married. And, um, and so as I was thinking about this message even back then, I was just thinking, man, it's just so incredible that we're called the bride. Because as a groomsman, I'll tell you my sole job as a groomsman, I was instructed as a groomsman to stand here and not pass out, right? That's one main job. Don't pass out. Don't lock your knees, you know, and don't do anything really, really stupid. And so hold your hands like this and guess who my attention is supposed to be on the entire wedding? The bride. I'm I'm attending the groom, but my attention is on the bride. They are the center. They are the focal point of that entire party and feast. And the grand announcements at the end, groomsmen hardly get a nod. It's like, yeah, who cares? And honestly, when you go to a wedding, you don't sit there and go, wow, I want to know all about the groomsmen and bridesmaids. How come there aren't more stats on them? We don't care about them. The big announcement is for the bride and the groom. And... Church, here's the fascinating thing. We're the bride in this story. Do you see how that elevates us to the story? And again, I love the passage that we read in Ephesians where it says we're we're called the the radiant church. And you think about a a bride and just this this picture of of a radiant bride. And one of my one of my favorite moments just in my own wedding, it was like this. And I've just, I've just passed this on to every person that I've married is to be able to stand right next to the groom if I was doing the ceremony and to, and to kind of step to the middle and, and everything, there's like this calm hush and all attention just goes, boom, there she is. Here comes the bride. And just to go, man, soak this moment up. This is precious. And then to take that language and say, this is a profound mystery. And then Paul clarifies, but I'm talking about Christ and the church here. And this metaphor, this picture that's being shown to us. Isaiah chapter 62. And in verse 5, <clears throat> again, God revealing himself through the prophets, through the ages. This is long before Jesus came. He's not entered the story yet. But in verse 5, it says this of Isaiah chapter 62. As a young man marries a maiden, so will your sons marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. You know what was fun to hear is to hear my friend tell me that he had just gotten engaged. Some of you heard this story, but he's almost 40 years old and never been married and a godly guy and saving himself for his future bride one day. And, um, and God blesses him with, with a wife. 
And you, you go out to Texas and you hang with this guy and he would not stop talking about his future bride. And that's the way it ought to be. If he hardly mentioned her, you know, like, hey, tell me more about this girl. Oh, she, you know, you, you pretty much, what you see is what you get. Now, let's go talk. I mean, that would be really problematic, right? There would be some issues to, to talk through and work through. He wouldn't stop about her, though. He was all dialed in to, to her needs and, and, and to how she was doing. And, and even through the rehearsal dinner and just the, the whole nine yards, you could tell he was, he was attentive to his, to his soon-to-be bride. And kind of uh, me and my other buddy who were with him as, as old, old married folks, uh, we said, man, don't, don't ever lose that. It's actually re-energizing for me to be a part of people's weddings and just to hear their love story and to watch them on their wedding day. I love going to, to, to weddings with my wife because it's just like, yeah, we need to keep that. We need to fight for that. We need to remember that. And we need to, we need to return to there. We're going to look at this a little bit later, but in Revelation it talks about the wedding of the Lamb. And the Lamb is Jesus. And it talks about feasting. And it sounds like a real wedding because that's the metaphor, that's the picture that's being painted for us. It's just like our weddings that we have today. I need uh, three, three people to read some passages for me. Let me just see a, a few hands and we'll fire them out. Ben, if you could grab Romans 7.4. Uh, Ron, did you, did you raise your hand? All right, thank you. 1 Corinthians 6.15. I'm sorry, I saw... Jeff, you were the one that raised your hand. Ephesians 5.30. 1 Corinthians 6.15. I'll call on you in just a second. Um, I had three brothers growing up, so I'm not going to pretend that I know a whole lot about women. And so, women, you can come and correct me later on. Uh, but it was really fun to begin dating my wife, and uh, she had three sisters. And so suddenly I was thrust into a household that just, they solved problems differently. They managed their time differently. They talked about different things. They cheered for different things. They cried for different things. I mean, it was, they cried, period. Um, and so it was just, it was a whole new world to come and start, you know, learning the world of, of women in a, in a different way. And, um, and it was just, it was fun. It was, it was you know, eye-opening to me um, in a lot of different ways. And, and one of the things that I, I know about, about ladies, young or old, is this, that women long to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that they're beautiful. They just do. God created women to long to be beautiful. My daughter and Lindsay Cummins, who just walked down that aisle, were absolutely thrilled at the prospect of dressing up as if you're going to a wedding and get to get all dolled up and get to walk down an aisle like that. Loved it. They were just overjoyed at that. My boys would have been, what? You have to comb my hair? Does that mean I have to shower twice this month? I mean, it would have been a, would have been a bummer for them, you know? So there's just wiring that's different there. And there's something about a bride that, that, at least in our culture, most of the time, this is maybe fading, but most of the time a bride is, is approached and chosen, right? She's asked to be married. And, and there's a certain sense as a bride, as a woman, that you realize in that moment that you say, wow, this guy of all the women in the world, this guy is choosing me. There's something that, that this guy thinks is valuable about me. He's cherishing me. He thinks I'm beautiful. Now again, marriages are in real trouble if you come to marriage looking to be validated and having that be your sole source and, and what's going to carry you on into happily ever after. Probably a lot of marriages get off track because that was maybe a, a starting motive 
But it's a beautiful thing that that's a part of being chosen to be married. And here we are, that bride. Now, as people, we long to know that we're valued. Maybe guys wouldn't phrase it the same way. I long to be beautiful. You know, that just doesn't fly with most guys. But, but the reality is, guys just express it differently. You know what? We, we long to be respected. That's something that God's wired into guys. We long to be strong and know that we're valuable and contributing to something. And in essence, if you take man and woman together collectively as created image bearers of God, God has put within us this desire to be validated. I don't care how lone ranger or how needy you are or wherever you are in the spectrum of that, that is true of you if you are a human being. And here it is, God saying, you're the bride in this story. This picture, this wedding picture, you're the bride. You're the chosen one. You're the one that I am saying, I choose you and I want to marry you. Listen to the marriage language that's, that's found in scriptures. Romans 7, 4. That was in the message. Okay. Tucked into there is this idea that that you might belong to God. And it's using marriage language. First Corinthians six fifteen. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? May it never be. Okay, so here here is this language again of of us being the body. And, and being joined to Christ. Doesn't that sound like the Ephesians passage? The two will be one flesh. And it's saying, now would you take that same body and join it to something else? May it never be. Don't ever, ever let that happen. Okay, and then Ephesians 5.30, Jeff. Okay. So there again, just this, this idea. This marriage language, if you start to look for it, if you start to read through the scriptures and, and look for these four metaphors, you'll discover something. A, there's more than four, right? There's more than four metaphors used for the church. But these four pictures are found just all through the scriptures, and they all tell a little different nuance of, of what's going on. This is why the great news is such great news. And I think if you're a Christian for a long time, or if you've been married for a long time, you can forget what a treasure it is in the bride that you have sitting next to you. Or in the groom that was once dashing and maybe now is uh, getting some gray and whatever else. And as a church member, you can forget what the good news is all about. You can forget why it's such great news. This God that you thought was mad at you, This God that you knew you had disappointed and violated in some way, shape, or form. This God that you even thought maybe was sickened by you and your choices and the things you've done is actually choosing you, is actually pursuing you, is actually in love with you. And it is fully appropriate to sing love songs in church and to go all the way with that and sing a full-blown love song. And if people want to write that off as emotionalism and say, well, that's not very appropriate for God, they haven't read the Bible. Or at least they haven't understood the Bible. Because God is both one to be revered, 
where we shouldn't just go, let's give a high five to God and just speak in language like He's our best buddy. We don't really get God if we just use language like that. But if all we ever get is God who's out there and not, as that song says, closer than my skin, then we don't understand the imminence of God. We don't understand the fact that, that he, he wanted to be so close to us that He came and became one of us just to relate to us. And so there's, there's a, a, a twofold way of looking at this. What happens when we lose our identity? What happens when we forget that we're the bride of Christ? I'll tell you what happens when you lose your identity. You begin to act like a crazy person. You just do. You start doing things that are, that are out of character for you. You start making choices that make no rational sense. There was a student one time who had a really rough upbringing. But God provided him this, this home, this comfortable, safe home. And beyond that, he provided him with a church community. And he began to provide covering for this guy to really begin to succeed in life. And really begin to be nurtured like a family member should. And you watch the care of God care for this sheep. And he was soaking it in. He had never tasted of that kind of love. But something happened along the way where all of a sudden... Um, he, he made a few choices. He started going down the wrong path. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray, and this guy was no different. Began to go down some, some wrong roads. And ultimately, this guy who had everything going for him and so much provided for him, and his, his identity was he was a friend. He was a loved relative of some people that took him in. He was wealthy. He had a... He had a a house that he could just dwell in and get all the benefits of in Cupertino. And yet, time and choices found this guy sleeping by the Guadalupe River in downtown San Jose with a group of homeless people. He started acting like a crazy person. Literally. He, he was making choices that were just wacko. They were out there. And he was the prodigal son. He had wandered off. And praise God for, for this guy's community of, of faith. And try as we might, several of us approached him and several of us tried to bring him back. And in God's own timing, this one friend of his, of his of a peer of his, somehow got through. And I remember going down late one night with this friend and praying for this lost soul and going, God, he doesn't realize he's your child right now. He doesn't realize he has a place right now in Cupertino where he can be sleeping comfortably and safely. And God, his life may well end in the near future if he doesn't get this straightened out. Would you please pull back the blinds and show him who he is? And long story short, he did end up coming back home. He did end up being restored. I wouldn't say he's just off on, it's just a happily ever after ending to that. But he regained his identity. He regained who he was. He ended up coming back home and submitting to the authority that was there. And for a while there, it was touch and go as to whether he would live to see 20. Church, when we get off track of who we are, we start screwing things up. We start acting like crazy people. We're doing things for the wrong reasons and doing the wrong things. It's imperative that we understand we're the bride of Christ. I want you to look at this phrase right here. And I want you to think of it more than just a kid's song. I want you to, to interact with that. And I want to ask you this morning, do you know 
I mean deeply know that this is true. Have you wrestled with this? Have you, have you really interacted with this in such a way that you say, yes, I really do know that I'm loved by Jesus? Not just because it's been taught to me, it's really been tested. And I can say beyond the shadow of a doubt, I know this to be true. Or are you somewhere in the midst of that figuring this out, saying other people have told me this is true? The Bible says it's true. Songs tell me it's true, but I'm not really sure yet if this is true. How much of our life would change if we were convinced beyond the shadow of any doubt that every day Jesus loves me, God loves me. The guilt, the shame, the way you spend your finances, the way you vacation, the way you wake up, your emotions, your health, your physical health, I mean, everything is, is, is affected by that statement. I want to move on to mission. This is true in, in other uh, metaphors as well, but I think it's extra true in this one. To, to ever separate who we are as a church from what we do leads to a train wreck. If you separate your identity from what you're about and what you press forward doing, you lead to real issues and real problems. Now, as a bride, what is it that, that we're to be about? James 1.27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unsained or, unstained, or this version says, uh, from being polluted by the world. It was interesting to watch this right here. We put this white runner out, and we all kind of instinctively, um, I, was, I watched people until other people walked on it. It was like, we shouldn't step on it. We need to walk around it, right? We kind of know that something white, like something in our, in our recess of our mind, our mom's about to yell at us if we walk on it, something. We just go, we shouldn't step on this. And so until someone else does it, then we're like, okay, it's okay to walk on. But we know that. We, we kind of get a, a sense of that, a white shirt or, or whatever else. And as a bride, God calls us as a church to be pure. It says to be blameless. There's this other language, Matthew 5, 8, uh, where Jesus is teaching. And he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Elsewhere, it says, be holy because I'm holy. Mimic me in that. I want you to turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we find an interesting passage. Paul is addressing some, some things that had gone wrong. We're a young church already and things are going wrong. We might need Paul to come, come help us out. But here's a church that, that, uh, that he's coming and he's helping address some of the issues that were creeping up. And anytime you get sinful people who've been saved by grace together trying to work this thing out, you just get... You just get knots that form and you get rifts that form and you get skewed thinking that's formed and all kinds of stuff. You ought to read these, these letters to these churches and take heart and say, wow, we're not that messed up. We're not getting drunk off communion wine. We're, we're not shoving you know, to, to get in line for that. We're not doing some of the things that we find in Corinthians that Paul's addressing and kind of straightening out. But what he says in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and, and starting in verse 2, he says this, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. 
I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. I want you to highlight two things. One is the idea of a pure virgin. And the second idea is found in verse 3 where it says that your minds may be somehow led astray. It's possible for sheep to go astray. It's possible for whole bodies of people, i.e. the local church, to go astray and to get confused. We've seen that in the churches in Revelation. They all kind of veered off in some different, in some different angles and different trajectories that were off and wrong. But there's a key to this being blameless and being pure that God calls us to that's found in this passage right here. And here it is. Remember I said if you divorce who you are from what you do, it leads to real problems? Well, catch this. The reason, the motive for us living a pure life, living a blameless life, being a virgin church, is our sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Catch this. You and I get this wrong when our good works and our holy living are done for any other reason than our simple and sincere devotion to Christ. Let me paint a picture for it. Some people come to this church very early. Someone was here at 7.30 this morning getting something done because it just needed to get done. Now, if that person was here, it wasn't me. I'm not, I'm not trying to make you think it was me. I showed up at 9.15, way later. 7.30, someone's here. And they're serving Christ. They're doing it out of pure devotion to Christ, out of sincere devotion to Christ. Now, if they're doing it to receive the pat on the back or the ever-elusive kudo that makes them feel good about it or to feel valued or to feel special or to get recognition, which we all long for and we're all tempted by, then how long is it going to last that that person's going to continue to show up at 7.30 here? It will last as long as I or one of you continues to feed a need to pat that person on the back. Now, even with the pat on the back, things aren't all honky-dory. Because inside is this cancer that's growing. And at some point, 20 years from now, they'll chuck that at someone's feet and say, Look, I did this for 20 years. I was here at 730. Do you see how this begins to take shape like the older brother in the prodigal son story? Like the Pharisees who were doing the right kinds of things, who appeared to be very religious, very devoted to God, very sincere. But it was being messed up and it wasn't working because they were doing it for some other reason than sincere and pure devotion to God. To just say, God, this is a gift. This is an offering to you. And without that pure and sincere devotion to Christ, we'll get it wrong. God makes it clear to us that, that the heart, everything about the heart matters to Him. First, first Samuel 16, 7, it says this, Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Proverbs 3, 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Psalm 119, 11, Your word 
have, I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Do you hear this heart language and how important it is to get that right before God? Matthew 15, 8. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus made it clear that in every church there's going to be weeds and wheat and they're going to grow up side by side and they'll look identical on the outside. I can't possibly judge your motives for being here this morning, for serving faithfully. I don't have that gift. I'm not God. God looks at the heart. You can serve and do all the right things. We can be on stage. I can be preaching up here and have lips that give lip service. God, we love you. Your love is extravagant. We extol all kinds of praise on you. But our hearts could be a million miles away. And God just says, I reject that. That would be the same as if you and your husband or wife or your future husband and wife played this weird little game and you both know it's a complete sham. It looks okay when you go out to dinner outings and stuff. You can get dressed up and look like any other couple. But you both know it's a game. And God says the same thing with our worship. Let's just get this straightened out. Let's figure this out. Let's not, let's not keep this charade going. The heart matters to God. Second Chronicles 16.9 For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Just as the heart is central to my own body and imperative for me to have life, so it is in our relationship with God. If this love relationship feels awkward and weird, you need to nurture that. You need to begin to look at some of the passages we're looking at today and say, God, help me begin to think of you in loving kinds of terms, not just as the God who's out there. The mission for Jesus turns sour and ineffective when we do it from our own strength. We're not going to take tons of time to go there, but just write down Luke chapter 10. And in verse 38, Jesus visits the home of Martha, and you have Mary and Martha, these two sisters that come together. And we're going to talk in a moment about community groups and about this radical call to community that God is calling us to. And I think about this in my own life, that that the way that I serve, the way that I interact with God, the way that I interact with His church can take on characteristics of Martha sometimes and take on characteristics of Mary sometimes. Let me challenge you with this thought. A Martha-style community group. Now, Martha was the one who was busily doing all the preparations. And Jesus doesn't doesn't condemn Mary for sitting at his feet, but even says, man, she's found the most important thing by sitting at my feet. Here's what a Martha-style group thinks of. We need to perform a service for the Lord. We need to get busy and do something for God. A Martha-style group says, get busy for the Lord, even to the point of distraction. A Martha-style group focuses most on what is secondary. A Martha-style group fulfills duty, even if the relationship suffers. And that leads to problems. And a Martha-style group complains to Jesus about the service of others. Man, we're on it. We're here at 7.30. You guys rolling at 9.15. What's the problem with that? That doesn't seem fair. Let me flip that around on you and and paint a picture of a Mary-style community group. Instead of focusing on the performance for Christ, the Mary-style group is focused on the person of Christ. 
they enter into Christ's presence and nurture modeling that and, and, and doing that. And they sit at Christ's feet. They look into Christ's face. They listen to his voice. They rest in Christ's love. And they focus, first of all, on what is most important. And that is the relationship with Christ. Now, we always hear, especially in the industrious American culture that we live in, yeah, but someone's got to do the work. We can't all just sit at Jesus' feet. Here's, here's the difference, though. What if you went out and out of an overflow of being with Jesus, of being present with Jesus, you began to live life. You began to serve others. Your good works were just an outward overflow expression of your deep, intimate relationship with Christ. Focusing first on what is most important instead of jumping right to the other. What's forbidden as a bride of Christ? Quite simply, unfaithfulness. Now, some of you say, well, I've never, ever cheated on God. I've never had an affair with another religion. I've never dabbled, you know, in, in other things. Um, I've, I've never even gone to one of those other churches that don't teach the Bible. I would say, good, that's a great, that's a great start. But wouldn't you agree that a married couple can be having an affair without ever doing those kinds of things? There, there can begin to be this oneness that God wants in, in our marriages, and it can just begin to slowly drift could slowly be, become cohabitation, sharing a house together, sharing a checking account together, but there's no oneness anymore. There's no intimacy. There's no nurturing. Quickly turn to Revelation chapter 2, and I want to show you one of these churches that we said we would learn from in this series. We said we're going to learn from churches that have gone ahead of us. And in Revelation chapter 2, starting right there in verse 2, here's one of the brides of Christ at Ephesus. Jesus talking, he says this, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. That is quite a bride. That's a hardworking bride, keeping herself pure. The church keeping themselves pure. Enduring, perseverance, hard work. But then you read verse 4 and he says this, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Gang, this is the picture of the church, of a, of, a, of a married couple. And one of the, either the husband or the wife, says, man, I did all these things for you. I provided you with all of this. I did these chores selflessly for years. I made meals. I went hard at work. I tried to do all these things. And it's, and it's the other spouse with tears in her eyes saying, man, but the relationship wasn't there. The love wasn't there. And we as a church could get off on all these different things, all these good works. And Jesus comes to us and says, yeah, but you've, you've missed the whole boat. You've forsaken our love. You've thought for some reason that the outside of the cup is what you're supposed to shine up when all along it's the inside. This ought to be an inside-out kind of working. God doesn't want to cohabitate with us. He doesn't want to just share a checking account or a name only. He wants to be one with us, decision-making, vacationing, living life together. That's the picture God wants 
with our church. Deuteronomy 6.5 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Jesus called this the greatest of all the commandments. And notice what comes first. The heart. We miss that and we miss everything else that follows. All right. Expectations. Moving forward as the bride of Christ. You know that when you are pronounced husband and wife, you walk in that day as a single person. Ben just went, yes, I remember their wedding. and It was so fun. I now pronounce you husband and wife. And you walk out of that building changed. Forevermore, you are now, you get to check the married box on the little forms, not the, you know, not the single. You're changed. And once you become a part of the bride of Christ, you're, you're changed. You don't just walk out of a wedding and go, well, back to normal. I'm going to go off to my apartment and see you, honey. No, you don't do that. It's the same way with the church. We're forever changed. We're His. This picture of the rings back here. You know, when I marry people, I tell them, I say, man, as you proudly wear these rings in the days that come, you know what you're doing? You're proclaiming to the world, I'm taken. My heart is captured by someone. I'm someone else's. And you just, that goes with you wherever you go. And so it is as a bride of Christ that we move forward and our identity and our mission and how we think about things changes from that day on. We don't have time to look at it, but Christ is coming for His bride. Write down Revelation 19, chapter 7. These are future events being talked about. And there is, there is a, a future wedding that's going to happen. Where in essence, we're going to get to, to know Christ in a way that we don't know Him right now. But finally, the bride must be ready. And in Acts 2.42, there's a beautiful picture of the early church. And this morning what I want to do is I want to mimic the early church in some way, shape, or form. One of the things it says the early church did was they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. And I thought about this. Man, if I was as devoted to prayer as I was to my job or to my schooling, how would I fare? Let me ask you that same question. If you could somehow say, I'm devoted to prayer X amount. And then you could overlay that onto your job, your current job. Would you be getting a promotion or would you be fired tomorrow? Honestly, that was a convicting question for me. If I was as devoted to prayer as I was to my schooling and just moving forward, would I be flunking out or would I be getting straight A's? And as a church, how devoted to prayer are we? How hungry are we for it? This morning, we're going to actually take time and we're going to pray together in smaller groups. Not one person leading in prayer, but us collectively praying together. And a part of why I want to do this is I want to highlight, I want to establish how important it is that we are together on this. And in the early church, read, read at the end of Acts chapter 2, they were together all the time. They spent a lot of time together. That means they got sick of each other at times. That means they really knew deeply when someone wasn't functioning well or was acting different or was straying off or was happy about something because they knew each other. Our vehicle for that here at Neighborhood Bible Church has been community groups. 
And community groups are just taking the larger gathering and breaking them out throughout the week into smaller segments where we can look at each other in the eye and get to know each other and really pray for each other and spend time with one another. I want to introduce right now our community group leaders, and here's what's going to happen. In just a moment, I'm going to dismiss you, and we're going to have one community group come and pray up in this quadrant. Just grab some chairs, pull it around, break up into smaller groups. I'm going to have another one over here, another one in the back two corners. Some of you say, but wait a minute, I'm not in the community group. You know what I want you to do? I want you to just emerge into one of these for this morning. Just come and pray with one of the pre-existing community groups. And here's what I want us as a church to pray about. I want us as a church, as we wrap up this Church in HD series, I want to pray with a, with a bent toward being merry. With, 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 with language like this, God, thank you for being present with us right now. God, I just I confess my need to grow in my understanding of what it means to be a church. Or maybe more than that, I confess my need to simply obey and take next steps into that. I want us as a church, as we move forward from this series, to say, God, would you help us? Would you guide us? Would you help us to be good listeners? Maybe your prayer time is going to be listening to God, even in what he said here this morning. God, as as we're sheep and we're following you, we want to follow closely after you. What are you saying to us? Travis and Jessica, would you just stand up for one second? This is Travis and Jessica Jones. Just stay standing. Uh, They're a community group leaders that meet right here on Thursday nights. And all of these groups, by the way, are open for you to come and be a part of um, right now. Travis and Jessica, in just a moment, I'd like you to just come grab this, this front quadrant over here. Stay standing. Vivian Rose is, um, is one who's heading up a, a women's-only community group, and they're coming together on Monday nights, and that's here as well. See, Okay, Diane is not here this morning, but Vivian uh, leads that group, and that's open. Come and talk to one of these com- uh, community group leaders. Um, Les and, uh, and Donna, if you guys could just stand up for a second. Um, the Alberts in the back there lead a group uh, on, tell me which night, I'm, my mind's blinking, Monday nights. Um, and so, again, if you see your community group leader here, I want you to go to that community group leader in a moment when I dismiss you. Uh, Jim and Jenny Cook are, um, are at, the, at the Adam um, community group, which meets on Friday nights, uh, kind of out here in the, in the Almaden Valley area. And if you guys in a moment would just kind of go to that back quadrant. And, um, again, I know this is a little bit uncomfortable. Like you go, man, I have to get up and go somewhere. Yes, you do. Um, just here's what I want you to do. Just go and, and make your way to one of these four corners. If you're, if you're not in a community group, if you're in a community group, go to your community group leader and begin to just pray together over these sorts of things. And we're just going to close our service out. The band will lead us out in just a couple of moments. Um, so let's get right to praying. Uh, Jim and Jenny, if you could take that back corner and Vivian this front corner. Go ahead and be dismissed to a group and, um, and just begin praying together. If you're in two, pick one.